can talk about other stuff. I just didn't know if we needed to start doing the intro. Oh. Have we started? <laughs> What's happening? I need how to does, know if I'm on or not. How, how does time work? I think what that's really what it comes my, down to. Nobody knows. Nobody, it's is a flat it a, circle. Is it a linear line? Is it a circle? It's a flat are circle. Th- are there overlapping? McConaughey told me it was a flat circle, so I have well, to go Well, Matthew McConaughey would know, wouldn't he? Well, I mean, if we're going to do a legitimate intro, we have to do our whole thing. Who's doing it today? Clinton did it last time. That's right. So it's not me. <laughs> What's wrong? A, I'm looking at our notes and there's, how many fucks can we have? <laughs> <laughs> as many as we want. I guess since you've already slapped explicit on it, there's really no... Oh, yeah, yeah, we can do whatever we want. Welcome to Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Joe. I'm Rachel. I'm Clinton. This is the podcast where we give you two tales of mayhem and murder and discuss where a killer lies on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. Wahahaha. <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> Fine. We're not supposed to be the evil ones. No, I would hope not. Are we the evil ones? Will we look back are on we ourselves the and say, "Yeah"? Are we, will we look back on ourselves and say, oh, "We were the evil ones all along"? What is that old saying? Is like, "Live long enough." Or... Old saying. I think that was from a Batman movie. <laughs> but which Batman movie? And again, no. what is the saying? Uh, Die a hero, or live, or live long, long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. yeah. But that was a. Uh... It was a Dark Knight or something. Yeah, I don't recall. But I'm it was pretty, something very... I'm pretty sure it was a Batman movie. All right, hold on one second. All right. <laughs> comfortable? Kind of. I think Clinton's the only one with the most comfortable chair. These aren't bad. <laughs> I'm not complaining. <laughs> aren't you, though? <laughs> I mean, these are fine. Are they lush blue velvet like this? No. no. But those are very comfortable chairs. They're fine. They had better be. Oh, <laughs> uh, so it's late Sunday afternoon. It is. Actually, I think it's probably worth pointing out, just due to the time of year, if you have a certain someone in your life, you could get them a copy of Dr. Michael Stone's The Anatomy of Evil. Yes, found at all your local booksellers as well. Well, probably not local, but definitely Amazon. And then he has a couple of other ones. I always forget the name of the sequel. It's uh, It's like A New Evil. Yeah, it's something like that. I'm going to look it up. Please do. Just Uh, so, because we're all about accuracy. Yeah, that's us. We're all about accuracy. That's the first word that comes to mind <laughs> when I think about the murder brunch. it is on my list for any of uh, my friends who want to get it for oh, me. Man. Joe, I'm very excited about your Christmas present that I got you. It's one of those ones where my husband's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, Joe will. <laughs> so I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm going to feel real bad if I open it. I'm like, what the fuck is this? You're going to hate it. That's why I love it so much. I'm going to hate it. <laughs> You're not going to hate it. You're going to love it. Oh, yeah. It's called The New Evil. The New Evil. Understanding the emergence of modern violent... I don't know. It's... I Ellipsis. <laughs> modern violent crime. Do you want to do the whole title? Yes. It's called The New Evil. Understanding the emergence of modern violent crime. Excellent. So, yeah. Throw your, throw your money definitely Dr. Stone's way because... We owe everything on this podcast to him. So. Nothing new going on. It's a time between Thanksgiving and Christmas where nothing seems real and nothing's happening. and Like a limbo. A purgatory, yeah, if you Yeah, the will. only thing you're doing is buying presents. Which I gotta do. I have not done. I haven't bought any yet. I know basically what I'm getting everyone. Everyone that's getting something, that is. 
Are we on that list? Well, I guess you're gonna have to find out. <laughs> Clinton goes oh, missing all around Christmas. It's gonna be really sad when we figure it out that we're not on that list. <laughs> Fine. Presents are in the mail, guys. They're in the mail. I promise. Uh, yeah, I do need to go shopping though. It's it's that time. I'm all. I'm done. I have two more wow. to get. Good for you. Do I have two more? Maybe I only have one. No, actually. I have to get you a gift. Well, now I don't know if I should, Clinton. <laughs> but yeah, I'm almost done. I did it early so that it wasn't like all of a sudden I had a bunch of gifts and no money. So. That's a good idea. I mean, I need to do that too. I, I should have done it. I like to do it because then you can have wrapped presents under the tree for a large amount of time mm-hmm. instead of like, oh, I'm going to wrap these and put them under the tree the day before someone comes and opens it. For for our listeners who don't know Clinton personally, he cares very much about the aesthetic of his house during the holidays. Starting from about October 1st till January 1st, his house is appropriately holiday themed at all times. And it's just going to get worse. Like, it's going to be other holidays soon. And, <laughs> we and, come in and there's just a bloody crucifix because he's okay. celebrating Easter. and Or in the process of taking down Valentine's Day and putting up the crucifix. <laughs> there will be two Christmas trees this year. I thought you were about to say there will be two crucifixes. I'm <laughs> like, dang. Yes, two Christmas trees, both adorning your television. <laughs> they will be on either side of the TV. Oh. It's a big Are wall. they going to be black? Did you decide if they were going to be black? <gasps> You're going to do a black Christmas tree? That's cool. I'm not going to do a black, like, the tree, but mm. all of the ornaments will be black and gold. For both trees? No, just oh. one of them. And then what's the other one going to be? Just, you know, like, a variety of colorful baubles and trinkets. Baubles. It's a good word. I like the word bobble. I need to get... Wait, is that pronounced right? Bobble. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm thinking of, like, bobbleheads. It's B-A-U. It's B-A-U. So isn't it more of a bobble? That's <laughs> losing meaning in my mouth. No. Say it some more. I'm sure it'll make Bobble. Sense. Bob- bobble. You can't say it like a sheep. Bobble. 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 All right. The little stick that a jester has that has a little head on the end of it, that's called a bobble also. I don't know what you're talking about. Sure you do. A jesting stick. A jesting stick? <laughs> what like, are you adjusting? No. A Jesting oh, a stick. Jester. Oh! <laughs> that a jester has. With a jester head. <laughs> Adjusting stick. Yeah. A jester's stick. Can you, yes. I mean, all the times that you have been in your house looking at something going, you know, this needs some adjusting. Honey, will you get the adjusting <laughs> stick? You know, the one with the bobble at the top. <laughs> <laughs> all right, are we started this, this podcast. I mean, what? is this? entertaining at all probably not I can't at this point i feel we've turned on for like two and a half hours it feels like so. that. It feels that way so let's uh let's get into some murders and brunch yes please this has been an amazing brunch for one thing yes. i liked all the food this i think it, we all went into it thinking it was going to be a pretty simple brunch and then it ended up being pretty elaborate actually yeah i we think had... we're all riding on a major sugar high right now yes, yeah i expect a, a sugar, sugar crash about halfway through this recording oh, no. <laughs> you better pay the fuck attention <laughs> but we had uh breakfast sandwiches and sausages and a candied apple yes it was a granny smith candied apple or caramel apple the oh, only yeah, kind of apple that should be caramel because i think candied apples is actually something different yeah yes that is what you're supposed to use the red apple for and then, do you not have caramel on it? Is it like a no? Candy? It's the candy. It's, it's the red. The hard. It makes oh, it hard. Oh, like a heart. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't like that at all. Hence the color candy apple red. Shut the hell up. 
How dare you correct me? <laughs> um, uh, we also had a strawberry tart. Oh, yeah. The strawberry tart, which was very good. And I brought frozen coffees today. Yes, we have frozen coffees, which is a little... Uh, but we did mix in a heavy dose of... There was a heavy dose of some caramel vodka in there. Yeah, they're really good. Because it's brunch. Because yeah. it's brunch. I came with the best intentions. Like, I'm just going to go something non-alcoholic today. And then all of a sudden, there was a bottle of vodka. And mm-hmm. what are you going to do then? Peered out of nowhere. Like a poltergeist. However, we have finished that bottle now, so... That bottle is finished. We're going to have to get... Because that's good. That caramel That's money well spent. Tasty. Ooh, it's gluten-free. Oh, wow. I'm just seeing that right now on the label. Added benefit. I wonder... Most of Oh, well, actually, free? you know, vodka is keto-friendly. Oh, good. That's what I... Because I, my husband put me on a keto diet, but I can always drink vodka, apparently. <laughs> right vodka, out of the bottle. Vodka and soda is a good one, and Bacardi and diet Or is, just right uh, out of the bottle to deal with your depression because you can't eat anything good. Mm. Yay, keto. <laughs> <laughs> you can eat bacon. And bacon's delicious. It is delicious. Did I ever tell you about my complete meltdown over keto? I remember you when you had keto flu. I did have the keto flu, which sucked. Everything bad that was associated with the transition to keto happened to me. I had the keto rash, which is this itching all over your body, which I did not know could happen. Yeah. And my husband went through keto before me, like two months before me, and had none of these issues. Honestly, if Joe had had an insurance policy on her, I would have assumed she was being poisoned. (laughs) I do have an insurance. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, so there was one time where I had been on keto for like a month, and for some reason, I lost it and started screaming mostly at my husband but not like at him kind of just like at the ether and just screaming and so like you can imagine me at the top of my stairs leaning over the railing screaming at him and then like up to my bedroom slam the door that's so sunset boulevard you know what i mean it's right? very over the top and right? it's not really me rachel's swishing, more of the dramatic swishing one your, i'm on a diet for a couple hours and i'm doing yeah. that kind of thing but so. <laughs> so my husband at that point i can only imagine he was like okay and he googled it for real? He Googled it. And apparently, when you burn fat in that way, it all the estrogen it holds is suddenly released. And you can have mood swings. Maybe that is part of, like, actresses then. Because they're always on these crazy crash diets and stuff like that. And that's why they're so dramatic. I'm going to say it's the pills, really, for actresses. Oh, the pills. The pills. I will say both me and my husband went through a keto diet while preparing for our wedding. Mm-hmm. Because we had to look good in our tuxes. And, you and did. Uh, We did. We collectively lost like 90 pounds between the two of us in a year. So it is a diet that works. But how many times did you scream at each other and then swish your robe around while you slammed at the door? And oh, that's just a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't make any tart jokes. What'd you call me? We were all... <laughs> and scene. Very good. Are we ready to get started? I'm ready to get started. Are you ready to get started? I am because this episode is one of those unusual off the beaten path. We're tackling a literary character today. Yes, I'm very excited about this time. Uh, Joe is taking on this one. As you may have remembered, I did Lord Voldemort last time, but Joe is going to entertain us with her version of a literary killer. So let's see. see or killers. Oh, tempting. All right, so. Buckle in, everybody. Here we go. All right. So today we're going to talk about the Brewster family. 1940s. New so York. not Punky Brewster. Okay. <laughs> Mark that off the list. <laughs> that's Punky Brewster. That's on your bingo card. All right. So, um, so 1940s, New York. Mortimer Brewster is a writer <gasps> in the cities. 
Don't I'm, give it I'm away. Not, I'm not. I'm not. I got it. Though. Go ahead. But uh, he's a writer in New York City, and he's fallen in love with Elaine Harper, who happened to have lived next door to him in his childhood home. So they've known each other for ages, and on Halloween Day, they marry. Adorable. It is an unexpected marriage because one of Mortimer's overarching themes in all his writing is how marriage is an old-fashioned and superstitious custom. He's such a cad. Do you know which one this is? I don't, Ooh, which I love. All right, good. Rachel good. is just beside herself right now because she's like, I know who it is, I well, know who it is. Maybe because when Clinton finds out, he's going to love it. Yes. So. so it's going to be a bit of a scandal for Mortimer, but they don't care. And so, The scandal being that he got married. Yes, the got scandal, it, yes. It. When he is such a, what's that thing? Deter, not determined bachelor. Um, uh, aged? No. <laughs> that makes him sound like yeah. ancient. Uh, but no, I mean, Determined Bachelor is actually... Lifelong, dedicated. Lifelong, yeah, dedicated, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so Mortimer and Lane travel back to their old neighborhood in Brooklyn to notify their families. Elaine goes to tell her father, who is actually the minister of the town. That has no bearing on the story at all, but mm-hmm. I'll just throw it in there. And Mortimer goes back to his house where his elderly aunts, who were the ones who raised him, still live. And his aunt's names are Abby and Martha Brewster. Just adorable old ladies. Oh my god, the cutest. Now, the Brewster family is very old. They can trace their lineage all the way back to the Mayflower settlers. So they're very proud of their family, but they share some quirks. For instance, along with Abby and Martha, Mortimer's brother, Teddy, lives in the house. And he has a certain form of schizophrenia that causes him to believe that he is actually Teddy Roosevelt. You got it? <laughs> I'm staying quiet. Oh, okay. All right. But Clinton... But yes. No, I obviously get <laughs> yeah, Clinton, Clinton just caught on. <laughs> on this day, Mortimer shows up, tells his aunts and brother about the wedding, and they are all very, very happy for him. Yes. Abby and Martha go into the kitchen to make a, a celeb- celebrity. <laughs> that a right. celebratory snack. And Teddy goes to his room, leaving Mortimer alone. And he starts to uh, nose about, looking for notes on his next book. I don't really know why his notes are at the aunt's house. I don't either, because he didn't live there, right? He lived in New York or something like that, didn't he? Yeah, but but that's what it said he was doing. And Mm. ultimately, while searching for these notes, he finds Mm -hmm. in the window seat of the parlor the dead body of a man. (gasps) Gasp. I am loving this, by the way. (laughs) The slow unfolding. (laughs) If anything, I can rest easy tonight knowing I entertained Clinton. Absolutely. Okay, so Mortimer freaks out, understandably. Teddy's mental illness has obviously become violent. And instead of calling the police, he decides to sit his aunts down and tell them how Teddy has snapped. However, the ladies correct Mortimer and inform him that they, in fact, are the ones who killed the man in the window seat. What? And it turns out that this was not the first time. Mm -hmm. For months, Abby and Martha have been doing the same certain pattern. They would post a sign in their window advertising a room to rent. And then, when what they deemed as a sad, lonely bachelor came to rent it, they would give him a glass of elderberry wine with a cocktail. Elderberry, did you say? (laughs) (laughs) 
Sorry, I could not resist. <laughs> I, I did say that. <laughs> I would appreciate you not interrupting. <laughs> okay, so they would give him, them a glass of elderberry wine with a cocktail of arsenic, strychnine, and, quote, just a pinch of cyanide. Mm. This would kill them quickly. And then once dead, Abby and Martha would tell Teddy the men were victims of yellow fever who died building the Panama Canal. (laughs) Teddy would take the bodies and bury them in the dirt floor basement. It was done to end their suffering. Including the man in the window seat, there were a total of 12 victims. That's so many. That is a lot. (laughs) They even tried to murder a man while Mortimer is there, but he's able to chase off the stranger before anything happens. (laughs) Which is a really good scene. (laughs) (laughs) And scene. (laughs) Now I can picture the scene, and it's making me laugh. (laughs) While Mortimer is trying to process all this information... Now trying to decide to call the police on his aunts or not, Jonathan, his other brother, shows up. I kind of forgot that Mortimer was brothers with Teddy and Jonathan. Yeah. Really makes you wonder about their parents. I mean, like, the aunts, obviously, there's mental illness there. Hold that thought. All right. Jonathan is considered the black sheep of the family, of the Brewster family. And no one in the family has seen him in years, but he shows up with a friend. It turns out Jonathan is on the run from the law. He's been traveling and leaving a trail of murders behind him. His total is also 12 murders. How convenient. Yes, which his friend thinks is hilarious that his old elderly aunts can do the same amount of murders that Jonathan can. But now the law is closing in on him and he has to run to the last place of refuge which is his old family home his friend turns out to be a dishonored plastic surgeon i didn't write this down but i have to say it i'm like i'm not gonna say it because it's cheesy but i'm gonna say it his friend's name is dr einstein (laughs) (laughs) so the plan they had was to go to the home bury their last victim and then perform appearance altering surgery so jonathan could elude the police who are searching for him Page two. Excuse oh me. My God. <laughs> that in. I apologize. Okay. A little strawberry tart. <laughs> the ants find out about his plot and are adamant that no, that will not be allowed because <laughs> because all the men that they buried, all the men they murdered and buried in the cellar were nice men and not criminals or foreigners oh if you just throw some racism in there (laughs) it is the 40s yeah jonathan pulls a gun on the family and then threatens to kill them all somehow i'm not quite sure how but or why but the police show up they find jonathan and arrest him i'm kind of skipping over a bit but okay let's let's get to the the main points okay so they find him they arrest him Mortimer decides that it is too dangerous to leave Teddy in his aunt's care, so he has papers drawn up to commit him to an asylum. He has the dishonored surgeon sign the papers as the doctor, and then he signs as the next of kin. Worried that Teddy would be lonely and scared by himself, the aunts insist on going with him, in which Mortimer gladly signs their papers too. (laughs) But now he feels that he can't stay married to Elaine because Mm -hmm. he has this whole family history of mental illness. So Abby and Martha take him aside and tell him 
the secret that he is not really a Brewster. His mother was actually the family's cook, and his father was a chef on a, on a steamship. <laughs> so in the end, Mortimer walks away, knowing that he will most likely not go insane. Most likely. <laughs> most likely. Jonathan goes to jail as a murderer, which he is. The dishonored plastic surgeon just walks off into the ether, never mm. to be seen again. Ether. <laughs> oh, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I'm funny. Uh, the two killers, the ants, get to live out their lives with Teddy, and they all and they all just leave thirteen bodies buried in the basement. Nice. And that is even the foreigner. They yeah. I know. They, they're outraged. I know. It's not funny. Um, and that is the plot of the 1940s play written by Joseph Lessering, Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh, it's so good, too. Like, the Cary Grant version of the movie is really, really fabulous. And our very own Clinton did perform in a stage show of this. That was my first community theater appearance. And Rachel directed it. I did. I did direct it. And that's why Clinton has that elderberry wine, because he was the last victim. Elderberry wine! (laughs) And I watched it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is a 1944 movie starring Cary Grant and directed by Frank Copra, which is so funny. It's, it's, yeah. it's I mean, like, it's an older movie Capra. or whatever. Capra. Yeah. There was a, oh, I, I wrote it down wrong. This yeah. is my problem. Capra. Frank Capra. Um, but it is, even now, yeah. particularly hilarious. Especially because Cary Grant is always seen as, like, this dashing, leading man, but he was super ass funny. Like, he was really yeah. good. Um, no, I don't know if I've ever seen the movie. It's good. We should do a little viewing party. Yeah. It's, I'd be it down is, for that. It's ass funny. It's ass funny. Now, which murderers are we doing on the scale? We are doing the ants. Okay, that's why I figured. Right. Jonathan would have been... Well, we don't know who he killed or why. Or why. But we've got now... So this is Abby and Martha Brewster. Yes. A body count of 12. 13. No, they did uh, well, 12. Well, I mean, it closes on them killing the the doctor guy. That had, that was me. The, the last guest to come into the yes. house? I mean... Mm, I guess you died. I mean, we don't know, right? No, I, I think... do know. They hand me the wine. <laughs> <laughs> when I looked up how many, I, I wrote down how many men die okay. in arsenic and lace, it was a total of 12. All right. We will go with, not that 12 or 13 is going to tip the scale no. one way or the other. Because as we know, yes. so this is Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil, which ranges from 1 to 22, with 1 being justifiable homicide and 22 being psychopathic torture murders with torture as their primary motive. It is not always about quantity. It is more the reasoning behind the killing. If you want a little bit more information about the scale, because I we've had a couple people inquire about it, you can find all that information and even more in Dr. Michael Stone's book, The Anatomy of Evil. Yes, and this is available on Amazon or wherever you get your books. It's very popular. It's very good. So we recommend it. So what levels do you think the ants are at? All right, so I uh, I have two levels that I'm kind of hovering between. And that is level 15, psychopathic cold-blooded spree killers or multiple murders. Or level 16, psychopaths committing multiple vicious acts. Now I will say this, okay? This one was harder than I thought to place because there's no malice. Yeah. Okay. It's true. And so what I did was I looked up 
where Dr. Michael Stone placed other angels of death. Yeah, I was just thinking of that too. And he placed them on 16. Interesting. Now, however, I don't know if that actually works for us because, again, those people always murdered because... Well, actually, I don't know. I can't say always. That's a, that's a very broad brush, right? But it is one of those things where they're trying to... They see that men are suffering in their eyes, right? They're suffering. And so they're just trying to relieve them of that horrible life that right. they're leading. And that's what Angels of Death, some of them, that's their excuse. I'm not even... That's I mean, that's what they believe. That's their motive. Right. So that's why I'm leaning more towards 16. I actually would lean more towards 15, except for the fact that it includes spree murderers. Because to me, spree is always very many in a short period of time. But it didn't take them very long to murder. So it's not like they kept these people for months getting their trust or anything. That is true. The guy walked in. They said, how do you do? Here's some elderberry wine. He's dead. Go bury him. Elderberry, did you say? Okay. That's very true. That's very true. And also, 16 has multiple vicious acts. It makes me think that they enjoy the act of murdering more, like mm-hmm. like chopping somebody up or something like that. And this was very much like, we have poisoned you. We bury you in the, I in suppose the basement. That is good because other angels of death right always seem to stem towards like a narcissistic thing where they want the attention of taking care of these sick people or or watching them die yeah or watching them die and that's that has no no bearing in this story right those the ants are doing it purely because they want to help people as misguided as that might be which to me definitely puts them in the mind of psychopathic right oh yeah yeah. because they're definitely psychopaths psychopaths And I kind of like the cold-blooded reference for 15 because they are so calm about everything. Like when Mortimer finds the dead body, he's freaking out and everything. And when he tells them that I think Teddy's killing people, they're like, no, Dia, let's get another cup of tea and talk about all the people we've killed. You know, so they don't really, it doesn't affect them. It makes you want, because they talk about their very first murder too and how it wasn't difficult or like to make the decision to do it. Yeah. You could argue that, I mean, aside from the fact that they died, they didn't do any vicious acts. So I, I think I am also on team 15 on this. Also, not knowing exactly how arsenic kills people. As far as I know, I think it's a fairly terrible death. The story, the play, the movie, whatever, puts it in a much more... They literally like go to sleep and Well, die. also, it's not, it's not just arsenic. They right. have strychnine. They have cyanide. Yeah, it's a whole cocktail. So I mean, but it's to give you the idea that they're they're not doing anything that's going to put you in pain. Yeah, they just want they just want to kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they want to relieve you they of your suffering. You. Yeah, so I think I would definitely lean, lean towards fifteen. I was looking at some of the other levels just to see if there's anything that's a little more. If you could say you're a nice person and also a killer, like, <laughs> which is not something that I. Well, the other one is, uh, I'm looking for where it is on the scale, but those who only murder when cornered, which is 12, is kind of the closest I can get to that. But they weren't really power-hungry psychopaths. No. And they weren't cornered. And they also, they didn't rob the victims. They didn't do, like, they literally just found, I don't know, homeless men and murdered them. Yeah, like like uh, drifters or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, it's not even like they're homeless. They have money to pay down for rent. That's true. They're there to get a room. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess we're going to go for 15 for the Brewster Ants. Sounds like a 15 to me. I like All the right. 15. Clinton, 15 it is. put it on the board. On the board, 
We will not discuss who falls at no, 14, no. but should be at 16. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we also had, uh, we had another 16. Winston Mosley was from one of our previous episodes. He was also a 16. Well, this one is a 15. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, but I guess Winston would be the closest. Yes. Since Peter Manuel is contested. Contested. But this is our first lady killer, right? Yeah, we got, uh, that's, that's what makes this one fun is one, it's ladies and it's a pair of them. And they're elderly. And elderly. And lovable. Mm -hmm. Can I say my favorite quote from it though? Please. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because I forgot to write it down. But it says, the answer are talking to Mortimer and they say, oh, yes, mental illness runs in our family. Why, it practically gallops. <laughs> yes. Such a good play. Oh, my gosh. If you get a chance, if you ever get a chance, even like go like community, like a good community theater or whatever, go see it. Yeah. It's so funny. Or or just get the Cary Grant movie because it is. Oh, yeah. Do that. Do that instead. Get the Cary Grant movie. <laughs> No, support your local arts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that too. Uh, Do both. Except during COVID. (laughs) All right. Are we ready for story two? I'm ready for story two. Clinton, are you ready for story two? I am ready for story two, though I could dwell on arsenic and old lace for a while. Okay, so... Can I just say one more thing? Yes, please. I don't know... At one point, this the idea came into my head to do this, but I do remember like it came into my head, and then I had to have that moment where I like looked up to the heavens and was like, "Yes, <laughs> this is such a good idea," <laughs> and I was so proud of myself. To be fair, I think the Brewster sisters are very complicated killers. You know, I mean, there's a lot of like to be that cold blooded and yet still. Uh, delightful delightful like very charming wonderful ladies yeah i mean it is one of those things where the whole family is just cracked yeah oh yeah that is true i had forgotten about the adoption part at the end yeah that's so good okay so for our second story we as you probably know by now we like to do an unsolved case or something that's a little more wonky mysterious mysterious this one we're going back to our true story so this is something that actually happened so we're we're Leaving the literary behind. Um, True crime um, fans, come back to us now. Stop skipping. (laughs) Stop stop skipping. skipping. But here we go. We are going to September 5th and 6th, 1982 in Craig, Alaska. Craig, Alaska is a small fishing village of 1,200 people. Super tiny. But it was a popular port for fishing ships to come in and unload their, you know, their catches. And I'm talking like, <laughs> you know, unload. I'm going to say, I'm going to say a lot Put of. Put their feet up, kick back, you know. I'm going to say a lot of ship terms and stuff that you can tell I'm very uncomfortable with. Um, <laughs> so just prepare yourself. So ships would dock there, drop off their wares. <laughs> their fish. Their Cargo. Fish. Yeah, yeah, for the canneries and okay. stuff like that. So anyway. So, here we find skipper Mark Colthurst and his pregnant wife, Irene. They're both 28, along with their children, Kimberly, 5, and John, 4. He also has four deckhands, Chris Heyman, 18, and Jerome Kewim, Dean Moon, and Mike Stewart, who are all 19. They ran a ship called The Investor. So, it's Mark. He's pretty young at 28, and his four dudes, who are pretty young, 18, 19 years old, and then Mark's family. Mark was a really well-liked young skipper he owned a real cool boat apparently it's like the investor was really nice very state-of-the-art and it was notable that he was young and had such a nice boat boat. yeah vessel all right hey guy that's a nice boat yes 
Um, they lived in Washington and did not use the Craigport very often. So the people there didn't know them very well. But anyway, after <laughs> what? It has nothing to do with what you just said. Okay. But you got, but so we're sitting at the murder table mm-hmm. and the, there is a vase of dead flowers that every occasion, like occasionally I'm getting a whiff. Oh, it's awful. Oh, no. These, it is terrible. They smell like ass. I mean, seriously. It's yeah, so bad. Yeah, no, I, I because I did the same thing. I looked up and I'm like, Who is what that? is, what is, oh God. And like, there's that split second where we're like, is it me? Is it me? <laughs> yeah. Do I smell like ass? No, but, but, okay. And I apologize. No, those are, no, it's fine. I think. It's two week old yeah, sunflowers. It, it should have been addressed. Earlier. They're very sad yeah. flowers. I'm going to take a picture and put them on our social media. They're for perfect for for a murder brunch. Okay, so anyway, the Colehurst family show up in the Craig Alaskan port to drop off their salmon. <laughs> drop off their salmon. Oh my god, guys! And this Rachel, like- slow down with the boat references. I'm not getting it. <laughs> and it's like a huge load of salmon. <laughs> like he made like thirty thousand dollars off of this one trip. So that's, that's a big deal. This is like I'm going to start using that as like oh, like when people start lying to me and go that that's is a, a huge load of, load of salmon. <laughs> okay. So after unloading the salmon, um, two of the deckhands went into town and allegedly bought some drugs off a of former deckhand, John Kenneth Peel. So there's a guy in town named John Kenneth Peel who used to work for Mark, who I guess also sells weed. That's what I, that's what I'm assuming the kind of drugs. If they, this was also this is a weird little tidbit in the story. I'm not sure if it exactly happened this way, but. This is in the 80s, right? This is 1982. Yeah. So it's, so it's what? It's got to be either weed or coke. But these guys were pretty young, so let's go with weed. Who knows? Anyway. Cheaper. Calls were made home. None of the relatives who received calls from the boys, the deckhands, or from, I believe Mark also made a call home, sounded out of the ordinary. Everything sounded fine. Colt Hurst didn't have any cash on him. Even the 30000 he got from the salmon, he wouldn't get until the end of the season. It's all part of how they do payments for for this kind of thing so he cut a check for cash from a friend so that he would have money so they could go out to dinner that night because it was also his birthday it was a celebratory dinner for his birthday so he didn't have any money on him and i'm I'm saying this to set this up that the motive for for the murder we're about to hear about is very strange like where did it come from john kenneth peel the gentleman i had mentioned earlier was reported seen at the restaurant but he denies he was ever there when they got back to their ship, the investor, there was a loud party going on at a neighboring ship called the Decade, and there was a bit of a storm going. So it was a very loud night. But here's the weird thing. To get onto the investor, you had to cross two other boats because of the way they were docked. You had to like walk across their boats to get into. Yeah, hmm. I, I guess this is common. Okay. Um, but nobody reported seeing anyone cross the Decade to get into the investor other than like the family. You know what I mean? But there was a party going on. So who who was at this party? It was, the, you know, this whole Oh, yeah. Who's going to pay attention to somebody walking around? Right. Exactly. The next morning, a crewman on the decade saw the investor drifting and their lines were left on the dock. So the boat is like drifting out into the little bay area and they had left very expensive lines on the dock, which was odd. But the decade was like, we're going to just hold on to those till later or something like that. Or there are ours now. Yeah, there are ours now. They waved to someone in the pilot house of the investor, but they don't know who it was. And this person waved back? Yep. Was like, hey, how's it going? As they're drifting out a little bit. The decade radioed them to apologize for the party because that's why they think they were drifting out was to get away from the party because it was so loud and they had the kids and all of that. But no one answered when they radioed. People report seeing a young man buying two and a half gallons of gas 
after boarding the investor's skiff. So the skiff was like a little boat that was part of the investor. He had drove it into town and Craig got two gallons of gas. People saw him and then had gone out to the investor. And meanwhile, the investor itself was moored off of Fish Egg Island, which is a mile from Craig. So everyone thought it was odd that the investor was moored while everybody else was heading out to go fishing again. Like all the ships that had come in to drop off their loads were heading back out to go fishing, but the investor was staying at that Fish Egg Island. Hmm. A fog had come into town and had lifted periodically throughout the day and everything. So now we're the the morning after of the party and everything like that. At 4 p.m., people start to notice smoke coming from the investor. There's a ship, I believe it was called, for some reason I didn't jot this down, I believe it was called the Casino. They're racing over to see what's going on and they pass the skiff and there's a man in the skiff. And they're like, hey, is there anyone on board the investor? And the guy says, yes, there are people on the boat. And then he takes the skiff into Craig. That man talked to at least three people on the dock before just disappearing into the fog. That guy got off the skiff, talked to three people on the dock, and then just walked away, never to be seen again. He was most likely our killer. The murderer was sailing the boat with the victims in the boat and then set it ablaze the next day. All right. So here's what happened. Witnesses said the man was either 20 or 21 years old with light brown or blonde hair. He weighed 150 to 160 pounds and was wearing glasses and a baseball cap with a logo on it. Since the man was seated in the skiff, witnesses couldn't guess at his height. But I was thinking the people on the dock should have been able to, and he got out of the boat. Anyway, but when authorities finally got to the boat, they were able to retrieve the bodies of Mark, Irene, and Kimberly. So Mark, his pregnant wife, Irene, and their daughter, Kimberly, five. They had multiple gunshot wounds with a 22. Yikes. But the fire could not be stopped. And the city of Craig, the town of Craig, really, because remember, there's only 1,200 people who live in this town, did not have the capability to stop the fire on the water. Like, they had... You have to read some of the articles that I have in my sources because they, like, they reached out to neighboring towns to help. They had people... Like, they were having ships come in with, like, extra pumps or something like that. And anyway, it just... It just kept coming up ablaze. And of course, it's not its not in the town or anything like that. It's far enough away that it's not actually going to damage anything in the town. Right. That is true. But the, I mean, they, obviously, they were trying to save the people who were. Right. Um, but it was, it was too late. So the fire kept coming back. When it was finally abated, Jerome, one of the deckhands, was identified by, by fragments. That's how mm. it's described. And they think they found remains of Christine and Mike among the wreckage were the other deckhands. They were never seen again. So they were presumed dead. Little four-year-old John was never found, and they believed he was just too small and was consumed by the fire completely. Oh, God. Yeah. That's dark. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, so let's talk about the investigation, which some people believe was botched, and some people believe it wasn't. But anyway, so they couldn't stop the fire, as I mentioned, until the day after. So that means most of the forensic evidence was gone. They couldn't even really be sure of how many victims were on the boat. They were just going on what Mark had as his manifest, you know, like who he had on his boat, the four deckhands, his family, and that was it. When the responding officer was informed that the skiff was seen leaving the burning boat and was tied at the cold storage dock, he examined it briefly, but decided the rain would have washed away any fingerprints, so he didn't bother to impound the boat and look at it more closely. That seems... Yeah. That one's really... That is it. Error and judgment. And apparently the officer didn't even realize the skiff in question belonged to the investor. So he just thought it was a random skiff. I guess, yeah. But I mean, I guess also, in his defense, you're telling this story now after all the details are known. All of those other things about people seeing a man in the skiff 
probably came out later. Yeah. No, that is true. So he might... He could legitimately have no reason to have known that Mm -hmm. at that point. Maybe. Right, right. And a lot of the witness... There were a lot of people who had seen this man, this mysterious man, but the descriptions were all vague. And this was mainly because they were used to having strangers in town. It's a town of 1,200. It's a port town. Right, but it's a port fishing town. So they're much more used to having 18 to 20-year-old dudes walking around, working, and then leaving. So you tell me it's a white guy with brown hair and a baseball cap, that could have been hundreds of guys who had been there that week. So, yeah, so it was very hard to have a guy that stood out that looked like that. All I'm saying is if someone says you should look at the skiff and you're like, well, it rained. Yeah, that one's a bit of... Because, <laughs> I mean, he was looking yeah. at it for yeah. a reason. That's and, true. And he said in his, like, his reasoning, right, was that it rained so it probably washed away everything. That's Maybe take another look. Yeah, that's probably not exactly what we're, we should do. So it was presumed the killer murdered the Colthurst family as they entered the boat. Irene was still in clothes from their restaurant dinner. So it was very much likely that maybe the killer was in wait for them as they entered the boat. They, he killed them with the gun. The killer sailed the boat to Fish Egg Island and opened the seacocks, uh, hoping to sink it. So I guess these are <laughs> basically holes in the boat. <laughs> you know, where the cocks is. Uh, right, right. <laughs> Um, the Seacocks, hoping to sink it, but then was surprised the next day when the fog lifted and he saw that the boat was still standing there, and that's when he decided to go get the gas and burn it. That would be quite the surprise. Yeah, we'd be like, oh, Oh, that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Damn it, I gotta go back. So it sounds, though, then his original plan is shoot the family, sink the boat. Right. But then again, like, there was no money on the boat. Like, why? Why kill this family? It's, It's very odd. So, two years later, John Kenneth Peel, gentleman I mentioned earlier, he was arrested. The trial lasted six months. It's the longest in Alaskan history. There were a lot of backhanded tactics used. No real evidence was brought up against John or um, Mr. Peel. There was accusations that he had revenge because he had been Mark's old deckhand. And I guess he was fired. And so they think that he was trying to take his revenge out on Mark. And there was also an idea that there might have been a drug deal that had gone bad. Because there were rumors that Mark was able to afford this fancy new boat because of a drug deal and things like that. But again, there's no evidence to support that. Even on Peel's side. Like, there's no evidence to support that he was this major drug dealer other than that one account of him selling a little pot or whatever to those two deckhands. You, you wouldn't think there, there would be enough people in Alaska doing drugs to make it worth anybody's... I heard Alaska wow. has a lot of drugs. Yeah? Yeah. There's nothing else to do. Mm. But what kind of drugs? I mean, is it now, pharmaceuticals or is it? I mean, well, let me just pull out my handy dandy book on the drug dealing. Rachel, in you're, in, you're in this underworld. You yes, know. that's me. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's kind of a same along lines that Clinton's saying is that it's just one of those states that there's not a lot of, to do. Well, I don't know. I don't want to throw shade on Alaska. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I actually <laughs> would love to go to Alaska, though. I guess there's a lot of places in America that have a drug problem yeah. now, and why should anybody? Or any place be any different. That's absolutely true. During the the trial, the jury deadlocked. Peel was brought back for another trial, and that trial lasted three months. I mean, these are these were expensive trials. That he was eventually acquitted, and they cost three million dollars. Oh wow! Yeah. So this is one of Alaska's like biggest cases that was also technically not solved. Um, Peel sued for wrongful persecution or prosecution. Prosecution. prosecution and he got I mean I'm sure he was also persecuted, persecuted yeah. but and he received a 900,000 settlement wow 
I wonder if that covered the cost. Because a lot of times those settlements will end up not even covering no, the cost. He sued for like over $100 million and okay. he only got 900000 So probably not. Most think Peel did it. Or at least he knows more than he's letting on. Like, I want to say it was Irene's sister who actually got to sit down and talk to him. And she's like, I don't know if he pulled the trigger, but he's, he isn't telling everybody everything. But Peel himself has always denied it and has said, there's someone out there who knows what happened. We need to find out. But the cops have closed the case. They are not looking at any other suspects. I couldn't find any other suspects they were looking at, any persons of interest. But technically, it does stand as unsolved. Peel was not convicted for it. So that's weird that they would close a case that's unsolved. Because the cops think he did it. And they think they just can't get him on it. Well, that's true. But I mean, like, to officially say it's closed, that's weird. Especially since if they know that, or if they believe they know who did it, you would think that they would keep it open just on that case that they might get some new evidence. evidence. Yeah, I don't know. But that is the... Unsolved murders in Craig, Alaska of the ship investor. Yes, that is how I want to end this. <laughs> <laughs> that is the title in which no, I gave this story. The very, the very sad story of uh, of the the crew of the ship investor. I mean, it is, it's very sad. He had his whole family on that ship. The wife was pregnant. Those four boys were so young, 18, and 19. Two very, very small children, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just having a... Revenge of being fired seems like a very flimsy reason. To kill the whole family. To kill a pregnant woman and two very small I children. I, I think just, and again, this is, you know, armchair detective, you know, armchair psychology that we do on this podcast, obviously. I think it was a, a robbery gone bad. I think someone got on this fancy boat hoping to find some tangible goods they could take. And there wasn't anything. Mark had the boat and his family and that was it. And then the family came back before they expected or something like that and they just started shooting everybody wow that's i that's what i personally think i don't think it was some kind of weird the only thing that's weird to me is that the killer had the fourth had had the gall to like wave at someone as they were floating by he had the gall to go to a gas station and be seen by people while he was getting gas to light the boat on fire you know things like that See, I'm not, I don't, I don't think I could buy that it's just a robbery gone bad because it would take a certain level of psychopathy. Yeah. Psychopathy to To be that cool. First of all, murder. It's not just a man or a woman coming at you. It's a pregnant woman. It's Mm -hmm. two children under five who can't, who are not going to, I mean, like, even if they're questioned by the police, they're not going to do anything, you know? And also to control that many people, especially if there are other deckhands, yeah. young men who are, you know, in good condition, obviously, if they're working on a fishing boat. And they were really close to a party that was going on. Like, yeah. there's just the and, capability of a lot of witnesses. And then to go back. Yeah. That takes a certain Yeah, because he confidence. would have had to, onto the boat. Yeah. Kill people. Yeah. Leave. Well, get gas, st- bring it back out there. So, so he'd get on during the party, right? Kill everybody, float the boat out, right? Get it over to Fish Egg Island, take the skiff to shore, wait to see the ship is not sinking, and then get gas and go back. And then yeah. go back, yeah, set it on fire, and yeah. then leave it again, and like, then run I mean, into someone yes. and say, "Yep, there's people on that boat. Gotta go, bye." You and know, then, and, and then talk to people on the on yeah. the deck or whatever. What, dock, dock. Thank you. You would think that if it was a robbery gone bad and it was someone like, oh crap, I made a mistake and I, he would try to get away in the night. But 
it was the next day you know next morning so he was actually there with the bodies you you would have to be mm-hmm. there with the bodies for hours before he actually got away and as far as i can tell nobody thinks it's a resident of craig it would have been a stranger who was in town who did this and then left unless you're of the mind that it was john peel maybe john peel hired somebody Again, but then again, what is the motive? What is he the motive? Not, motive? Unless he, unless he also thought Mark had money, and he's like, well, not only am I taking out an old boss, but I'm also getting money out of it. I don't know. But then again, but that I don't think it's good because that means that he would have split money with his hitman, right? And so, we, so the hitman would have been like, I didn't get any money out of this. I'm going. I'm telling the cops everything or whatever. Also, if Peel was a former employee or deckhand or whatever, he would know how they get paid and know that they wouldn't have been paid yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky one. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's whoever quite was, the mystery. Whoever was involved just literally walked into the ether. Especially considering, like, the thing that's most shocking to me is there's, like, what you said, 1,200 people. Yeah. That should be easy to catch someone. Well, again, that's why it has to be one of the strangers that just visits that port for a few days and then leaves. Yeah. It is- but even that, like, there's, it should be very easy to identify who is present at a time. Like keeping logs of who's yes. there and everything. But yeah. that's the thing that I was just about to say. It's a weird concept to be someone who has no identity walking through a town that you've never been in. Mm-hmm. You know, and having that certain level of that's being they, anonymous. If you if you would assume that they knew which ships were in that night, they could pull out the list of the crewmen of all of those ships, question all of those people. Was that even done? I don't know. You know? I mean, it is the 80s. I'm not sure... Were there people traveling with nom de plumes? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But it's really sad and awful. And it feels like it should be able to be solved. But Don't they all, though? Well, but then again, the cops are so tunnel visioned that it was John Peel. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was. Like, it just doesn't feel, I don't know. I mean, again, we're just spitballing here. But it just doesn't feel like it's him to me. And perhaps we will never know. Perhaps we will never know. It's sad. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Those were our two stories today. Oh, sources. sources. Oh, yes. Let's say our sources. So for my story of the Brewster family, I, of course, my only source is the 1941 play Arsenic and Old Lace by Joseph Lessering. Oh, and I did get a little bit of information from IMDb. <laughs> and I used um, People has a, has a really good, has a couple of different articles about this case, about the case of in Craig, Alaska. And medium.com had a really good article that I used a ton of information. So if you want more details about, they had a really nice timeline of how everything turned out. So I definitely recommend reading those. So that was another episode of Murder Brunch. Please, please check us out on multiple social medias if you'd like. We are on Facebook at Murder Brunch Podcast. Our Twitter is at Murder Brunch. Our Instagram is Murder Brunch. Our website murderbrunchpodcast.com and our gmail if you'd like to send us an email murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com awesome remember to review rate and subscribe until next week join us again for more mayhem more murder more snacks (laughs) bye Bye. (laughs) I still like it